Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, handful of stuff we're going to give you today in a world of baseball, sports, and unified America. Anything that's on your mind, please throw my way. Uh, just a reminder, um, I'm giving out some uh, masks, some uh, face masks with the PBS logo on it. Anybody that's interested, just reach out to me. Either comment or you know, send me a private message or something or you know, whatever. Email me, jrple.gmail.com. No charge. Um, I'll give one out to anybody that's interested. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Tony La Russa. There's about four or five different dimensions. It's almost getting to the point where so many different tentacles I think I could breach on over the course of one program. Probably could spend a solid hour just on that alone, but I'm not going to. I want to talk a little bit about Jim McMahon in a little bit, but we're going to start out by basically previewing the NBA playoffs, which seems like it was just a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, that we were talking about the end of the NBA playoffs last year, the Lakers being crowned the champions of the National Basketball Association, and now all of a sudden it's the NBA playoffs starting again. Um, the playing game, I think there's pros and cons of it. Uh, in the end, it looks like the most deserving teams, the seven and eights, uh, both made it in, in, in the Eastern Conference and in the Western Conference. The Memphis Grizzlies, as the ninth seed, they earned it. They won the, won the game against Charlotte, and then they got Golden State, won a close game. They get in there and earn that eighth seed. Listen, if you're a seventh or an eighth seed in an NBA conference, you shouldn't be guaranteed anything. It's not like you necessarily said you had a great season. It could be a bad team that started playing basketball at the right time. Let's say the Washington situation. That's a team that was injured, all of a sudden got their players back and really hit their stride during the right time. I, 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 could, I could get that. But if you're a 7th or an 8th seed in the NBA, dude, it's you had all season. You had 80 games to play yourself into a better position. And to see the Lakers end up falling from the defending NBA champions to a team that was right on the borderline. Could have very well, if they lost two games, you know, the two playing games, they would not have been in the playoffs. But it just shows the importance of LeBron James and Anthony Davis and what they mean to that team. And if you are the Lakers, that's got to be absolutely 100% unequivocally what you're banking on if you're going to look to repeat as the champions of the NBA because there's a couple different things that are coming up against you this year. The teams are better. The Lakers did not and will not see an opponent like Utah, like Phoenix, like Denver, even like Dallas and the Clippers. Now, I think at full strength, they could beat the Clippers. I think at full strength, they could compete with the likes of Denver and maybe a little bit of Dallas. But Utah and Phoenix, I tell you, these are two teams that can probably beat them at full strength. And we're going to do some NBA playoff predictions here. And I'm going to start out in the Western Conference. But the first thing I'm going to say is for the first time in probably about a decade, I don't think there's any doubt that the Eastern Conference is better than the West. You could talk about the Lakers and the Warriors before that and the San Antonio Spurs and the teams that 
that really had great runs, probably for the better part of 20 years, let alone 10. But certainly the last 10, you can make a case that the Western Conference has had a better style of basketball, has had better players, and has better teams year in and year out. Now, the East, listen, I think the entire championship, the NBA championship, any team that's going to think of themselves as a contender has got to get through to Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets with James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all functioning together, there's no question that that team should be the favorite. Not just to win Eastern Conference, not just to win a couple series, but to win the entire NBA championship. And, and there shouldn't be any doubt about that. That's the team to beat. Now, because of that, they have a little bit of a bullseye on their, on their chest. Teams are going to be gunning for them. You know, like uh, Ricky Bobby, when it comes to John Giroux in Talladega Nights, I'm coming for you. You know, that's what the other teams in the Eastern Conference are going to be going at. And it's going to be led by the Philadelphia 76ers, who I've said from the beginning, they're a good basketball team. They're a team that I don't think is getting anywhere near enough credit. I don't think they're being viewed as the legitimate contender that they are, not just in the Eastern Conference, but to win the whole thing. And I think if the Nets stumble, I think it's going to be the Sixers game. You know, you look at Embiid, you look at Ben Simmons, you look at Harris, you look at the depth on that team, and really outside of the area of Philadelphia, there's not a lot of people nationally that are giving the 76ers any luck. And they did earn the number one spot in the Eastern Conference. Now, part of it was because the Nets were never at full strength. And I think it's going to be a legitimate question of how well they match up with the Brooklyn Nets. To me, you give me Harden and Durant and Kyrie playing every game, knowing that Kyrie wants to play. I'm sure he wants to win a championship. Yeah, Is Durant going to be healthy enough? Is Harden going to be healthy enough? We haven't seen that over the course of the season. You've very seldom seen the three of them play together. And my concern was, were they going to be able to handle it? You know, the whole ego thing. And I think they've gotten through that just fine, but part of it has been the benefit of not all three of them being on the court a lot and having to kind of hog the ball from each other. You know, this isn't a Jose Lopez at second base, Jose Lopez at shortstop thing where you got the two infielders going to get a ground ball and fighting over each other. I think they both, they've all understood their roles. Harden has become a better distributor of the basketball, something you never saw when he was playing with the Houston Rockets. So I, I look at this and, I mean, to me, you give me the Nets if they're healthy to win the entire thing. Now, I'll start with the Eastern Conference. I'll be really quick, but I'm not going to go the whole regular, normal thing. I'm not going to pick what everybody else is going to pick just for the sake of making people happy. You know I'm taking Philadelphia over Washington, and that's no disrespect over Washington. Washington, uh, with, with Beal and with Westbrook, I think it's a solid team. They could surprise somebody. And really, if you want to go upset route, they, they could go, they could shock the entire basketball world by beating the 76ers and change the whole dynamics of that conference. Because I'm looking at a Philadelphia Brooklyn Eastern Conference Finals, and I don't think there's anything that's going to get in the way of that. That being said, I'm not guaranteeing you 
that Philadelphia has beaten Washington. I think they'll win. But you may see a seven-game series here. I think this is a legitimate dogfight. I think Washington's going to win a couple games. And people in Philadelphia and the region, you're going to hear sports talk, kind of get on the team a little bit, wondering if they're choking, wondering if they're not going to get the job done, wondering if they're going to have the number one seed and lose in the first round. But in the end, they are going to hold off. The 4-5, I'm going to mention that because the winner of that obviously will play the 76ers, who I think are going to beat the Washington Wizards, the Knicks and the Hawks. I think there's a lot of love going out there for the Knicks. And a lot of it's because of the coach. And you've heard my take when it comes to coaches in the NBA. You're talking about a player's league. The number one thing that a coach has to do is resonate with the players. But not just that. They have to impress the players enough that the star players aren't going to look to get them fired. Because if a star player wants to get a coach fired in the NBA, all they have to do is speak up. They speak up and the coach is gone. So Tom Thibodeau has come in there. Grabbed the pulse of that team. And I think he took over at the right time. Julius Randle emerging as a star as he is. You know, R.J. Barrett being that really solid number two player there. And they got some depth. And this is a good breakout season for the New York Knicks. Are they going to win the NBA championship? No. Are fans that are diehard New York Knicks fans that go back to the 90s or before that, back to the late 60s and 70s when they were winning NBA championships, I know they're going goo-goo and gaga and loving the fact that the Knicks are in the NBA playoffs. It's been a while. They earned that number four seed. They really put together a solid squad and have a good NBA team. That being said, the Hawks are going to beat them. The Atlanta Hawks, with the resurgence, with their coaching change, and you heard me mention on a couple PBSs ago, talking about the rare example in the NBA of a coaching change making a difference. The Hawks look terrible under Lloyd Pierce. Nate McMillan, who has coached for a handful of teams, probably will coach through another couple. It has been a good, a good basketball man. Seems to resonate with his players. And has got that team playing hard. They're playing amongst the best basketball in the NBA since he took over as coach. And he talked about the NHL, when sometimes it's who's got the hot goalie. Well, who's the hot team coming in in the NBA to the playoffs this year? The team that's made the biggest jump in the standings in the last month or two, that's the Atlanta Hawks. And because they're not the major market of New York freaking city, and Knicks fans are chomping at the bit to watch some playoff basketball, the Hawks are looked like they don't have a chance. And I think they're going to win. They're going to beat the Knicks. They'll beat the Knicks in six games. Get ready for a 76er Hawks second round. Brooklyn's going to beat Boston. Reason being, main reason, outside of the fact that I just think Brooklyn has got the best team in that conference, the Celtics are walking wounded. They're, they barely stumbled into the playoffs. I mean, to just go through the injuries that they have and they've had to deal with, you kind of feel bad for him. Is there going to be some change there? Do you go after Danny Ainge? Do you go after Brad Stevens? Do you go shake up the core a little bit? I don't know. I think that's set up for the offseason, an offseason that's going to start pretty soon. And you'd like to see the Celtics at full strength. It really would be cool. 
I'd like to see them, the, those players go out there and really give it their, their best and put their best squad out there and give the Brooklyn Nets the best series that they can. It's just not going to happen. And I can see the Nets winning in four. Maybe the Celtics win a game. Finally, Milwaukee-Miami. You got Giannis Tumpo, arguably the best player in the NBA, the two-time defending most valuable player. And you know, if you've listened to the PBS and followed my opinion, I don't like the Bucks. And it has nothing to do with Giannis. It has nothing to do with Drew Holiday or uh, Chris Middleton. I'm down on P.J. Tucker. I, I hate the fact that he demanded that he gets traded from the Houston Rockets. I don't like that spiel or that take to begin with. A player saying, hey, I don't want to play here anymore. That's why I want out. I don't love it when it's Aaron Rodgers. I don't love it when it's James Harden. But I can at least respect it when it's a star player. When you're a sixth man, when you're basically a nobody, and obviously we're not talking to nobody compared to me, dude. You know, your average basketball player that plays one second in a game is more of a name than I'll ever be. And I get that. But when you when it comes to you not being a star in the NBA... Feeling like just because your team sucks, just because your team's not going anywhere, just because your team's rebuilding, you don't have the right to go out there and demand a trade. You don't have the right to demand that you keep yourself out of the lineup until you end up playing for a winner. That's not your choice. Your job is to do what you're told. Your job is to go out there and play the 20 minutes that you play a game and contribute and make those around you better. And if in the end, the result is you getting traded to a better team, that makes you the better person. You demanding a trade when you're a nobody in the NBA, I'm never going to respect that. And I'm never going to root for the Milwaukee Bucks because of it. Give me Miami. I'll give the Bucks a couple wins in the series. I think Miami takes it in six. So I got the Sixers, Hawks, Nets, and Heat going out of the second round. Real quick, we'll go through the West. I think the West is going to be a little easier. Utah, Memphis, I love John Morant. I love the, the resurgence of the Memphis Grizzlies. They got themselves into the playoffs. They've earned it. They're not going to be a match for the Utah Jazz. The Jazz got that number one seed. I think they're going to flex their muscles a little bit. I've spoken about maybe a couple months back about their depth. No problem with Utah over Memphis. Dallas and the Clippers, I think this is going to be a knockout, dragout, seven-game series. Pretty similar to the battle they had last year. And give me Dallas in a close one. Give me Dallas in seven. Denver-Portland. I think, once again, you're talking about Nikola Jokic. You're talking about probably the MVP in the league this year on a team that nobody pays attention to. And this is going to be their time to shine. Denver all beat up Portland pretty good. Though I think Portland will give them a fight. Give me Denver in six. The toughest series to pick for me was this, was Phoenix and the Lakers. And we're going to go th- assuming LeBron and AD are healthy, assuming that they're healthy enough to play and you're getting the best of the Lakers against the best of the Suns. I like the Suns. I think the Suns are an outstanding basketball team. I think they've gone leaps and bounds with the acquisition of Chris Paul. I think the backcourt with Paul and Booker is probably the best in the NBA. I'll take an argument with it, but I'm going to stand by my decision. 
best backcourt in the NBA. Booker Paul. And I think this is going to be a knockout, dragout, seven-game series, but I'm going with the experience of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm going with the premise that I, I started this segment with. The Lakers at full strength have the best chance of winning the NBA championship. Now the question is, are they at full strength? They may not be. And if they're not, they're going to get knocked off by Phoenix. They're going to get knocked off by Denver. And certainly going to get knocked off by Utah or Dallas in the Western Conference Finals. If they're not full strength, if you're not getting full LeBron at at least about 80-85%, if you're not getting AD at about 80-85%, the Lakers are going to get dropped. Because the competition level of the Western Conference is better. And I told you, for the first time in a long time, the Eastern Conference has got a better set of squads than the Western Conference does. So I got to weigh in on the latest drama and controversy that involves manager of the Chicago White Sox, Tony La Russa. And I'm going to start out. There's four major points I want to hit up here. The first one is the agenda that has been set up against this man from day one. And I want you, if you are if, if you are a diehard Tony La Russa hater, in other words, new school baseball, this guy's a boomer, get him out of the sport. If you're CC Sabathia cursing in a microphone to get this guy out of here, I want you to listen to this entire segment and all four points I'm going to make here when it comes to to this man's state in the game and what part he was right with and what part he was wrong with. The media and the fans, since the day Jerry Reinsdorf hired him as manager of the Chicago White Sox, have wanted to run him out. They've wanted him out of here. They 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 hate him because of his age. They, they hate him because he got a DUI. And here's another thing. You've heard me say this before. Uh, how many people blast celebrities or people in the spotlight that get a DUI to have a friggin' DUI themselves. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. You're out of your ever-loving mind if you think you have a ground to stand on. If you've been busted for DUI and you want to talk about a guy potentially losing his job or not getting a job because of a DUI. That's like somebody that's been divorced trying to give a married person advice. On that handle their marriage. You really want to take that? Come on. But the bottom line is, you know, the, the prayers have been out there for the fans and the media for this guy to fail since the second he's took the job. And all the White Sox have done is win. You could say that there was a little bit of a leadership problem there before with Rick Renneria. Prior to that with Robin Ventura. You got a lot of good young players. Maybe... On the surface, this may not be the best fit, but it's working. The White Sox have the best record in the American League. They seem like they're going to run away with that division. And the question is going to be, how far do they get in the postseason? Are they going to get to the World Series? Are they going to win a World Series? Because in the end, if they're pouring champagne all over themselves in a locker room, celebrating a World Series championship in November, nobody's going to give a shit who their manager is. Tony La Russa and those players are going to be fine. Is it something that I think will exist for long term? I don't know. But the problem is, is there's an agenda against this guy since the day he was hired. Now, he's at, he's adding to the fire. He's making himself an easy target. And the second point 
is going to be my knock on Tony La Russa. I'm going to make two comparisons to different things that have happened over the last couple weeks in baseball. You had the situation with Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor having whatever disagreement they had in the Mets clubhouse. And whatever it was, they had their dispute. They went in the clubhouse. They said whatever they said. And the reason we don't know what they said is because they kept it private. The only people that messed it up was Michael Conforto, Dom Smith, and Jonathan Villar. And I'm sure the three of them, if they watched a video of them running in the clubhouse, realized that they're the ones that made a spectacle out of this whole thing. Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil handled whatever they had to handle like men. And you know what? I have no problem with them keeping it from the media. Because some of the stuff is just not the media's business. You know, John Q. Reporter that covers the Mets beat doesn't have to know every single thing that goes on in that Mets locker room in that clubhouse. And the Mets did a great job of keeping it from the public. Yes, there was an issue, but any details of what happened was held and kept between the Mets players. A couple weeks ago, you had the Joe Girardi situation with Gene Segura. There was some sort of disagreement. There was some sort of dispute. Joe Girardi got apparently in the face of Gene Segura. They kept it between themselves. They didn't release it to the media. Joe Girardi was not answering a question about the alleged incident. Because sometimes things that happen within a clubhouse stay within a clubhouse. And here's where Tony LaRusso effed up. Here's where he screwed up. The your man Mercedes home run. Whether, whether whether it was a take sign involved or not. Is this because Tony La Russa is not used to being interviewed after every single game? You got to keep the wraps on that. The professional manager that you are, the Hall of Fame manager that you are, Tony. You got you to gotta handle this amongst your own players. And to call out Mercedes in public... To call out any of the players that are speaking up defending their teammate in public is a terrible job. And if there's one thing that Tony Lewis has screwed up here, it's that. Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil didn't run to the public in the media to talk about their problem. Joe Girardi and Gene Segura didn't go to the media to talk about their problem. Tony Larusa. He's supposed to be the elder statesman. He's supposed to be the adult. He's the one making comment after comment after comment. And I understand his manhood is at stake when it comes to the new school against old school. And his opinion is his opinion. Which, by the way, he hasn't backed down from. And I'll give him credit for standing up for what he believes in. He's not backing down for how he feels. But he could have avoided the media. He could have pushed aside some of the questions. And he could have gone without making statements that basically insinuated that it was okay that his, his player and his team got hit. To basically tell Lance Lynn, I'm the manager and you're you know, a, a POS player. He sounded very childish. So... I'm not here telling a 76-year-old Hall of Fame manager how to conduct his business. But in a court of public opinion, 
You wanted to not make this the shit show that it's become? You should have tried a little better to keep what happened in the clubhouse. And sure, he said he didn't announce whatever, you know, in court finer suspension was put in there. And I'm sure there was a fine. But he had, a, he had an opportunity, a couple opportunities, to keep this from being what it really was. And it blew up because Tony La Russa couldn't keep his mouth shut. He couldn't keep it within a clubhouse. So last two things about this matter. First, media, fans, they've been out to get Tony La Russa since he was hired. So I'm rooting for him. I want to see him lead the White Sox to a World Series championship. Maybe two. Maybe he wins two World Series in the next two years and walks away with his middle finger up. Which I'll hold mine up as well with him. I hope he wins. I hope he succeeds. He's got to be more professional than going to the media with the dirty laundry that's going on in his own clubhouse. Mets didn't have any problem. The Mets have been talked about one of the worst-run franchises in sports. The fact that there's always a circus. The Mets media was pissed off at them because they didn't give them a story this time. Philadelphia wanted a story. Girardi, Segura. What's their issue with each other? They didn't give it to them. Tony Larissa fed into the media, pumped his chest, and made himself look worse. So last two things. When it comes to a, a three and zero hit sign, you know how I feel about the value of major league managers? I think Tony LaRusso may be the only one in the sport that's doing some things his way. I think there's data and analytics. I think there's input from other people when it comes to the lineup and who pitches and stuff like that. I think he, Tony LaRusso is given a little more leeway than other managers in Major League Baseball. But even in situations where the manager isn't, you got to respect their position of authority. And if they give instructions, if a sign is put out on a 3-0 and zero count to not swing, the player, whether it's Mercedes, whether it's Jose Abreu, whether it's Tim Anderson, whether it's Frank Thomas and his friggin' prime, you have an obligation to listen to that sign. And if you don't, if you blatantly ignore the sign that's called insubordination. And for those of whom who work, and I know not a lot of you work anymore, but the majority of people that do have a job, you understand the chain of command and your responsibility to listen to your boss. And you may not like your boss, but you have an obligation to listen to him. Insubordination is not to be tolerated at any level when it comes to the workforce. If Mercedes is given a three and zero take sign, he is not to swing. He's not to swing. And that's where he screwed up. Last point. The twins quit. Now, we think this is taboo because it happens over many instances in Major League Baseball. 
Teams are down by a lot of runs. They throw in a position player to pitch because they've given up. They're not going to win the game. They want to save an arm for the next day. They don't want to overuse their bullpen. They understand it's one game out of 162. And you know the best teams are going to lose, what, 55 or 60 games out of 162? Just chalk it up to 1-0. And, and I don't have a problem with a team quitting. But you don't, you don't have the right, if you've chosen to quit, to force the other team to quit too. And because you take a 275-pound catcher infielder that throws 45 miles an hour and put him on the mound, turn the game into a freaking circus. That's not a sign to your opponent that they shouldn't try. If they're out there stealing bases, maybe that's a little much. You know, if they're rubbing your nose in it, it's a little much. But if a guy hits a friggin' home run over a guy that shouldn't be pitching, off of a guy that shouldn't be pitching, I don't see any problem with that. The majority of people that follow baseball don't see any problem with that. And that's where the White Sox players are getting at. When they're challenged by their manager publicly, that's what they're coming to defend. And it's not just the Minnesota Twins problem. Twins got their own issues. They're supposed to be a legitimate playoff contending team this year, and they're terrible. I think they still have time to rebound. They've got the worst record in baseball or one of the worst records in baseball. Nobody expected that. They're a little pissed at themselves. They should focus on playing better baseball. Not worrying about baseball etiquette. Not worrying about throwing a, at some guy to hit a home run against some pitcher that shouldn't be pitching. Twins got some dig, you know, bigger issues to dig out and figure out. White Sox players, kudos to you for sticking together. So the last element we're going to talk about here is this envisionment that the fans and the media want, and that's the coup. You've seen the coup. You've seen it happen. And I'm not talking about Sung coup. I'm not talking about him okie-dokieing Randy Johnson. But you know about that coup that happens a lot in basketball. Those players, the star players, get to the general manager and say, I want this coach out, and that coach gets fired. You've seen it happen in baseball. You've seen it happen with Bobby Valentine in 2012 with the Boston Red Sox. Now, Bobby kind of did it to himself a little bit. And you could say a similarity between Bobby V and Tony La Russa. They're both very stubborn. They're both very set in their ways. They're not going to back down for anything. And those that want to say that the environment is similar, I don't think so. And I think it's for this reason. I think the 2012 Boston Red Sox quit. They quit to get Bobby Valentine out of there. I don't think the White Sox are going to do that. The White Sox are too good of a team. They got too much talent on that field. From an offensive standpoint, from a starting pitching, from a bullpen standpoint, they got way too much talent to quit to get their manager fired. And that Red Sox team in 2012 was struggling. 
They had a lot of star power. Adrian Gonzalez was there. Yeah. Kevin Euclid, Dustin Pedroia. This was a team that was competitive. John Farrell just got fired a year before after making the playoffs a couple years. Oh, I'm sorry, John, John Farrell came after that. My bad. Sorry for that, the silliness. Terry Francona, the two-time World Series championship manager, was fired. And I apologize for goofing that up. Man, I sound like an idiot. No wonder nobody listens to me. But yeah, Francona wins the World Series, two World Series championships there, gets fired, replaced by Bobby Valentine. And Bobby Valentine basically thinks that it's his his role to be the dictator there. Team gets off to a bad start and the team quit on him. I lost a lot of respect for a lot of good players on that Boston Red Sox team because they quit on the manager for the sake of getting the manager fired. And I got a problem with that. I'd be shocked if the Chicago White Sox team does the same thing. Even if they don't like Tony Larissa, they're going to play hard for him because they want to win. And they're going to go out there and, and try to win a World Series championship. Yeah, I'm, and I'm trying to think of more awkward situations when it comes to Major League Baseball managers. you got the 76-year-old LaRusa coming out of retirement to take over the White Sox. Hired, of course, by the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. You had Valentine hired out at a broadcast booth after he hadn't managed a Major League Baseball team in almost 10 years with the Red Sox in 2012. What else we got? Well, I think of Johnny Keene. And for those of you that are too young to remember, 1964 St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series and Johnny Keene was their manager. Now, August Bush, who was the owner, had decided that Johnny Keene was going to be let go as manager of the Cardinals at the end of the 1964 season. Cardinals weren't getting a job done. Phillies were many games ahead. It didn't seem like it was going to be a season for the St. Louis Cardinals. And a lot of times decisions were made prior to the end of the season. So this is a decision. And remember, you know, alcohol, you know, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of alcoholic moments going on in most front offices in Major League Baseball at that time. So word gets out that Johnny Keene's going to be out by the end of the year, not knowing that Gene Mock and the Philadelphia Phillies are going to blow a seven-game lead with 17 games to play. Cardinals end up winning a pennant. They go to the World Series. They ride that in. They beat the Yankees. And the St. Louis Cardinals are 1964 World Series champions. The aftermath, aftermath of that is Johnny Keene saying, hey, I won, sticks up his middle finger, says, screw you. I don't care if you want me back. I don't. I don't want to manage this team anymore. And guess what? You got the New York Yankees a couple years prior had fired the most successful manager that they ever had in Casey Stengel. You could say, talk about how good of a manager he was, how good he wasn't. Was Miller Huggins or Joe McCarthy better? None of that matters. Casey Stengel won 10 pennants in 12 years as the manager of the New York Yankees. From a winning standpoint, you can't beat that. Somebody told me this past week, talking about the best football player of all time, it's hard to argue with Tom Brady and the seven Super Bowls that he has. And you could try, but it's a hard argument to jump into and gravitate towards and take. But 
Johnny Keane ends up being the hot commodity, World Series championship manager with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yankees hire him. Ralph Houck was there for two years. He took the job as general manager when they lost in 63. Yogi Berra was hired to manage in 64, fired after one season. And it started a toxic type of situation. Johnny Keene never meshed with the Yankee players. Mickey Mantle didn't like him. Joe Pepitone didn't like him. And very quickly, Johnny Keene was out there. Now, what's different about the Yankees situation is you're talking about 40 plus years of prominence being the best team in a sport, having the best players. This is the first time that the Yankees are kind of taking a step back, not being so good. Yankees, for the first time, 1965, 1966, 1967, they don't have that talent advantage that they had when they were winning World Series championships left and right. Now, Johnny Keene, sure, oil and water with the Yankees players, but there's also a combination of that team not being any good. And that's why they fell. The Red Sox were a better team than they performed in 2012. They quit on the manager. Tony La Russa and the players, listen, the White Sox go through a losing streak. The White Sox have a tough month. All of a sudden, the White Sox are questioned as whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. I think there's an easy scapegoat. And part of that's brought up by Tony La Russa. Part of it's his own fault for airing the dirty laundry of what happened with that home run against a scrub pitcher, a guy that shouldn't be pitching for the Minnesota Twins. Last point we're going to get into, and hopefully that covers everything possible about Tony La Russa and the White Sox. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So every now and then you hear a washed up old former player grab an interview or grab within that interview some headlines and take a shot at somebody and kind of grab their name again. A little bit of attention to themselves. And I'm talking about Jim McMahon, an interview that the former Super Bowl winning quarterback of the Chicago Bears decided to take the time to take a shot at the greatest coach in the history of the National Football League. And that's Bill Belichick. Now, granted, there was some sort of dispute over whether McMahon, when he was signed by the Browns, whether he got a fair chance with the Browns, whether he was compensated properly for playing and being part of the Cleveland Browns. Jim McMahon's got the right to be upset. Jim McMahon no longer has the platform to blast the best coach in the history of the sport. You're talking about a guy that, over the course of his career, had a hard time staying on the field. That 85 Bears team was carried by that defense. Jim McMahon didn't lose a game that he was under center for the Bears that season. But he missed. He didn't start five games. He missed three games completely. The next year, he played six games. The next year, he started six games. In 88, he played nine games. Finally, the Bears made a decision and moved on from him because he couldn't stay healthy. What does that remind you of? San Francisco 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jim McMahon, when he was under center for the Chicago Bears, from 1984 to 
Won 36 games, lost five as a starting quarterback. Remind you of Jimmy G with the San Francisco 49ers. And John Lynch, the general manager, has said it. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, has said it. What's the issue? The issue isn't the trust in the talent of Jimmy Garoppolo. It's the fact that they can't trust him to stay healthy on the field. They drafted a quarterback in Trey Lance with a third overall pick with the hopeful expectation that he's going to stay healthy and eventually be the successor to Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo can't stay healthy. Jim McMahon couldn't stay healthy, which cost him a chance to be a solid starter in the NFL. Was he a winning player? Absolutely. Part of it was the Bears defense, but you need a leader. And a quarterback in the National Football League is the leader. Jim McMahon was a winner when he was on the field. Jim McMahon's issue is he couldn't stay healthy. And don't tell me that the Cleveland Browns weren't thinking about that when they they signed him. They said, hey, this guy's got a huge upside. He He did nothing but win when he was a starting quarterback in the Chicago Bears. He looked great, but he's not healthy that often. The Browns are thinking about that too. And Jim McMahon is the last person that's got a right to take a shot at Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick went out there, played, coached in nine Super Bowls. Won six. Jim McMahon couldn't stay on a football field. This is the Pass Ball Show, as always, brought to you by JohnPLA.com. A reminder, anybody that's following the show, uh, just send me a message. You can send me an email, jrpla at gmail.com, a text. 732-513-5927. Comment on any of the digital streams, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. I'll, I'll send to you, if you want, a PBS, a Passball Show mask. I'm going to order some. I'll send them out, distribute them, no charge. Just let me know. Be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.